The following sermon, entitled Praying for Laborers for the Harvest, was preached on the evening of April 30th, 2023, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open the sacred scriptures tonight to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, let's begin reading at verse 27. And we will read through chapter 10, verse 8. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed Him, crying and saying, Thou Son of David, have mercy on us. And when He was come into the house, the blind men came to Him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto Him, Yea, Lord. Then touched He their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that ye know, see that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and preaching the, go- preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, Freely give. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this evening's sermon is Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The occasion for tonight's sermon 
is the urgent need that we have as Protestant Reformed churches for ministers. There's a great shortage of them. And so urgent is our need that in recent years, our synod has gone on record in forming the churches. We have an urgent need for ministers. So great is our need that our theological school committee recently sent a letter to all of the consistories in the denomination with a long list of ways the churches can promote and encourage the ministry among our young men. And while we as a congregation do not feel this acutely right now because we have a minister of our own at the time, yet even we feel the effects of it. It is only April and our minister has had to be gone four weeks already this year providing pulpit supply for vacant congregations and he is scheduled to give at least another four weeks of pulpit supply to vacant congregations and perhaps there will be even more. There is an urgent, pressing need in our denomination for ministers. And it's with that in mind that we consider this text because this passage is indeed appropriate. It's appropriate on the one hand because it reminds us this is not some strange thing that has happened to us as churches. For part of the instruction of this passage are the words of our Savior Jesus Christ saying the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And very importantly, those words were not unique to His specific setting and His specific circumstances. They did not only apply that very day that He spoke them, but really what Jesus was doing was stating a general rule. In general, there will be a shortage of laborers. And in a way, that by itself is comforting. Because it means that our current shortage of ministers is not evidence that Christ has forsaken us. It does not mean He's against us. This is not some strange, unique trial that only we as a denomination have experienced, but this is a general rule. The harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. That on the one hand makes this passage helpful in light of our urgent need, but on the other hand, it also gives us a reminder of how to respond. And that's really what we want to focus on throughout the course of the sermon. The calling as churches to pray. To pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send laborers into that harvest to be used for the ingathering of His elect people. And the comforting truth of this passage is that we can pray that prayer with confidence knowing that our God will surely hear and answer that prayer. 
So with that in mind, let's consider tonight Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38, using as our theme, praying for laborers for, for the harvest. Four points tonight. First, the plenteous harvest. Second, the needed labors. Third, the fervent prayer. And fourth, the blessed answer. Praying for laborers for the harvest. The plenteous harvest. The needed labor, laborers. The fervent prayer. And the blessed answer. In Matthew 9, verse 37, we read our Lord Jesus saying, the harvest truly is plenteous. And Jesus spoke those words, having seen great multitudes coming to Him to hear Him and to have Him heal their diseases. That's the context in light of verse 36. And when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So here come these great crowds towards our Savior Jesus Christ. And perhaps He's on some sort of elevated position and can look out over the crowds. And His assessment when He surveys them is that the harvest is plenteous. So that when Jesus looked out over the crowds, He saw them as a large field. A field that had been planted. A field that had grown in a field that had now produced a crop fruit that was ready to be taken in. Now certainly, when Jesus looked out over the multitudes, He saw more than the harvest, than the crop. For within any field, there are going to be the tares, the weeds, that which has no value to the farmer, to the husbandman, but As Jesus looked out over the crowd, He also saw within that crowd His people. And that's how we're to understand the harvest that Jesus refers to. The harvest refers to the elect church of Jesus Christ. When Jesus surveyed the multitudes, He was looking at the church visible in that day. He was looking at the people of Judah. But not all within that crowd of people before Him were necessarily His people. There were the tares. There were many who maybe gave an outward appearance, but who did not truly believe in Him. But yet He did have His elect people. That is, within the visible church, that broader circle, there was a narrower circle that is the invisible church, the elect church of Jesus Christ, and they are likened to the, the ripe grain in a field that is ready to be gathered in, ready to be brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And what's so striking is that seeing the crowds, Jesus says this harvest is plenteous, that it's plentiful. Verse 37, the harvest truly is plenteous. Certainly, the, the crowds were plenteous. That comes out from verse 36 when we read, but when He saw the multitudes, plural. There, was, there were multitude of multitudes. There were many people before Him. But yet, in response, Jesus does not say that the field of labor is vast. But instead, He says the harvest. That which is going to be gathered in to the kingdom of heaven. 
And that by itself is instructive for us or a reminder that the elect body of Christ, the invisible church, is plenteous. It's abundant. It's great in number. And that's an important reminder for us. Because when we survey the church, we're often tempted to think, oh, but the church is so small. And indeed, in Scripture itself, we are taught that the church is a remnant, a little flock. But that's from the viewpoint of the church compared to the the wicked world and the false church around her. Because at the same time, Scripture also teaches us that the church is like the sand of the seashore in number. It's like the stars of the sky in number. So that when John sees a vision of the new heavens and the new earth, he sees an innumerable multitude standing there in heaven. Reminding us that the church is indeed vast. It's abundant. There is a great harvest that will be brought in. And the explanation for that is the saving work of the triune God. You see, that's the only reason there's a harvest. And we're pointed to that when we read what we do, for example, in verse 38, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest and it's His harvest. That is, the harvest belongs to Him. It's His possession. He's the owner of it. But more than that, that He is the Lord of the harvest means He's the one who produces the harvest. He's the one who plants, who causes, who waters, who causes the field to grow and who ultimately gathers it in one day. He's the one who governs, who manages the entire process ensuring that in the end there is a harvest, a crop that is to be gathered in. He's the Lord of the harvest. And this Lord of the harvest is indeed our triune God because in verse 38 we're told to pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that is to the Lord of the harvest. If we're directed to pray to this Lord, then this Lord is our triune God. And indeed, it's the triune God who produces the harvest. For it's the Father who in eternity chose His elect people. That is, He looked out upon the field of humanity and chose those who would be the wheat, the grain. And now understand, that's different than saying He foresaw among all the tares those who were already wheat or grain or who would become wheat or grain, but instead, our Father looked out upon a field that was made up entirely of tares and set His love upon some, determining that He would make them to be a part of the harvest. And in His love for them, He sent His Son into the world to redeem them so that the Son is the One who came to save. came to suffer all of His life long. To bear the wrath of God against our sin. He came to fulfill all righteousness, obeying the law of our God. 
He's the one who has accomplished our salvation through His saving death at the cross of Calvary. And understand, that's the only reason there's a harvest. The work of the Son is so central that apart from the work of Jesus Christ, there would be no harvest whatsoever. His saving work is the, the basis, the ground for a harvest to be brought in. But now it's not just the Father, it's not just the Son, but it's also the Spirit. Because the Spirit labors to produce this har- harvest, really to, to gather in the harvest. For the Spirit is the one who takes that which Christ has accomplished and applies it to His people. It's the Spirit who works faith into the hearts of God's elect, thereby bringing us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And because the Spirit does this work efficaciously, irresistibly, it means the harvest is guaranteed. There's no question about whether there's going to be a harvest in the end. There's no question about whether having been grown to the point that the the crop is ripe, whether we're going to be able to get it all in in time before some storm comes or before a plague of locusts come. The harvest is certain. It's sure because of the work of the Lord of the harvest to produce that harvest. And knowing that, we have reason to praise our God. Because this is indeed His work. As we will see momentarily, our God uses means, He uses instruments for the ingathering of His people, but it's still His work. Even as we're taught in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7, which makes plain that while one man might plant and another man might water, it's God who gives the increase. Even the most faithful minister using all of his skill cannot produce one convert to Christianity. That's God's work. And therefore, He gets the credit. He gets the praise. Because He is the Lord of the harvest. And do we not have good reason to praise Him? as those who are a part of the harvest. For the reality is that by nature we were tares. We did not make ourselves to differ. It was only because the saving work of our sovereign God that we've been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And that because He chose us in eternity to be His own. And therefore, as those who are a part of this harvest. We have reason to be thankful. We have reason to praise our God. But now with all of that said, there is implied in this passage the need for this harvest to be gathered in. For you see, when Jesus Christ looks out over the multitudes, He sees the multitudes as this vast field. And within the field, there are the tares, but there's also the wheat. But the wheat is still out there in the field. It's it's a crop waiting to be harvested, waiting to be gathered in. And that points us to the need for the church to be gathered. Gathered in one sense by 
God's elect children being brought to faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, thereby entering into the kingdom so that those who were standing on the outside of the kingdom are brought into the kingdom. They're they're gathered in that way when individuals, God's elect, are brought to saving faith. But there's also the the final gathering, the, the gathering into the heavenly storehouse. When God's people are delivered from this world and brought to eternal glory and there's the need that they be preserved throughout that entire process of being brought to saving faith until the day they enter into that heavenly storehouse. The church must be gathered. And when Jesus surveyed the multitudes that day, He saw a harvest. It was ready. It was prepared. But it had not yet been gathered and it had not yet been harvested. And that was partly because there was a lack of men to do the work. And that comes out in verse 36, but when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And here we have a shift and the illustration. The primary illustration that's in view in verses 37 and 38 is that of the harvest, but in verse 36, the illustration is the well known illustration of a shepherd and his sheep. Christ being the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, and his elect people being the flock. And here in verse 36, Jesus saw the multitudes as sheep having no shepherd. That is, They had no under-shepherd to perform the duties of a shepherd on behalf of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That is, they had no true shepherds. Certainly, they had religious leaders. They had the scribes. They had the Pharisees. But rather than caring for the sheep, those men simply laid heavy burdens upon them. Burdens of legalism and self-righteousness so that the sheep were scattered. They were weary. That was Jesus' own assessment because the sheep fainted and were scattered abroad. They were exhausted. They were tired. And rather than being gathered together into the green pastures where they could be fed, where they could grow, they had been driven abroad. What they needed was a shepherd to care for them. Or to go back to the other illustration, There was need for a laborer to be sent into the harvest for the ingathering of that harvest. And that does bring us to the second thing we need to see tonight, the needed laborers. There is a need for laborers. Jesus Himself makes that clear in verse 38 when He says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. There's a need for men in the field. And that need exists because God Himself has determined that He will gather His church, that is, bring in the crop, the harvest, by means of His Word. That Word as it's preached and through the sacraments. That is, God will use instruments in His hand to bring this about. And now, 
that in no way takes away from the fact that this is still His work. Because the, the men who are going to be sent forth, they're not the ones who are producing the harvest. They're not the ones who are responsible. It doesn't depend on them in any way for those who are sent in the harvest do not accomplish the salvation of God's elect people, but it remains His work. But yet, God in His good pleasure has determined He will use means. Especially the preaching. That's His tool to bring His elect people to saving faith. So that though preaching is foolish in the eyes of the world, yet it is most certainly the power of God unto salvation. And because God has determined to use that tool, that means, that means He's also determined to make use of men as instruments in His hand. And now, admittedly, there is application more broadly to the church as a whole. There are ways that God uses the entire church for the salvation and the preservation of His people as we use our gifts and abilities for the advantage and salvation of each other. But yet, here in Matthew 9, the emphasis is clearly on office bearers, particularly ministers of the Gospel. Jesus says to pray for them. Note the type of man, the type of laborer that He will use. As it's described in the text, if we start at the end of verse 38 and work our way backwards, we see the type of laborer that's needed. First of all, he's a man who will labor. It's for good reason that we are to pray for laborers, for workers. Because the work can be toilsome. But yet, this laborer does not mind. He goes about his work willingly because he loves the harvest, back up into verse 37, the harvest is plenteous. And he loves that harvest even as knowing God's own love for the harvest. God's work to produce the harvest. And the labor, therefore, wants nothing more than to see that harvest gathered in. Wants nothing more than to see God's people brought to that heavenly storehouse where they will enjoy life with God for all eternity. And knowing that, they serve willingly as laborers in the field, but really as shepherds among the sheep. And that brings us back into the end of verse 36. That's the other illustration reminding us that the laborers needed are shepherds to care for the flock. Men who will know the sheep and in their knowledge will feed them, will lead and guide them, will protect them, Defend them from their enemies. And we'll do all of that with a heart of compassion. The beginning of verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, Jesus was moved with compassion on them. Pointing us to the need for the laborers to have that same compassion so that when he sees the sheep hurting, his gut aches within him. His heart is moved. He loves the sheep. His heart is full of mercy and tenderness toward them. And that then is what makes Him willing to care for them and their needs even as we see in verse 35 with Jesus Christ when He went about, He was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. 
Because God's people do become sick and diseased. That's true physically. And therefore, these labors, these shepherds are to go to those who are burdened by trials and afflictions and tend to their needs spiritually, bringing the Word to bear upon their difficulties. But also caring for those who are spiritually sick and diseased. Those who are ensnared in some sin, bringing the Word of God to rescue them from that sin. That's the labor God will use. What is more, he must be a man who is ready, eager, and willing to preach. That's the beginning of verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom. It's for good reason. That's put first in this set of four verses. It starts with Christ preaching and teaching the Kingdom of Heaven. Because that's the primary duty of someone who's going to serve as a laborer, as a shepherd on His behalf. To take the Word, to read it, to give the sense, to cause the people to understand. That's the type of labor that's needed. And all of that is to say that the type of labor who is needed is one who reflects Jesus Christ. For you see, every characteristic of the laborer that we just set forth is drawn right from the character and the ministry of Jesus Christ Himself. So that the work of these labors, the work of these shepherds, is to set forth Christ. To be an example of Him. To reflect Him. To model His ministry. And to ever be pointing the people to the Lamb that was slain. And there's such a need for such men. Exactly because they are so few. Verse 37, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's a shortage of them. And understand that was true certainly in Jesus' own day. For you see, they certainly had their religious leaders as we mentioned a moment ago, but they were not true shepherds of the sheep. The reality is that at this time, when Jesus speaks these words, there were only two. John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. Those were the only two faithful laborers at this specific time pointing to the urgent, urgent need that there was in Jesus' own day for others to be sent out as laborers into the fields for the ingathering of the harvest that others might be brought to faith in Jesus Christ and preserved in the faith until they're finally gathered into heaven. But now as we mentioned in the introduction, this was not only true in Jesus' day, this remains true in our own day. The harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. 
That's true more broadly in the church world around us. Many religious leaders in the church world around us, but like the Pharisees of old, they lay burdens upon the people. The burdens of legalism. The burden of self-righteousness. And they thereby scatter the sheep rather than gathering them in. And thus in the broader church world, there is a need for faithful labors for the church universal. But our focus tonight is on our own denomination and the urgent need that we have. In our denomination, there are 33 churches and eight of those 33, so nearly one quarter, are vacant. That is, they have no minister of their own. And now as a congregation with a minister, we need to pause and consider what that means for a moment. Eight churches who do not have the same man standing behind the pulpit week after week preparing sermons suited for the specific needs of the particular congregation in which he's been called to labor. Eight churches that do not have a minister who knows the little lambs by name. Who knows their personality and takes all of that into account as he labors to teach them catechism. Eight churches that do not have a minister to serve as the president of the consistory. To give careful, wise advice as the consistory labors with difficult and weighty matters. Eight churches without a minister. And that number may well grow. Because among the ministers who are active in our congregation, two of them are at really holding off retirement age. They're at retirement age and really holding off retirement. Reverend Breinsma and Reverend Sprinsma are 69 and 68 respectively. They have served faithfully for many years and no doubt they will lay down the mantle in the near future. What is more, if recent history has taught us anything, there will also be unexpected losses of ministers. Men who are put out of office on account of some sin. Or men who leave the office or the the denomination for reasons that go unexplained. So that not counting the ministers who left in the recent split, we've lost three ministers unexpectedly over the last several years. There's an urgent need. And that urgent need is only compounded by the fact that there are so few students pursuing the Gospel ministry through our seminary. In each of the four classes, there is but one student. And the upcoming class, the the class that will begin next year, is likewise comprised of one student. So that for the next five years, the most that we can expect from our seminary is one new minister each year. And that only if they all make it through. 
we have an urgent, pressing need for ministers. So how shall we respond? Jesus tells us to pray. That's the response. Pray fervently. Even as we're instructed in verse 38, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Jesus tells us pray. And when He says pray, He does not use the ordinary common word for pray, but He uses a different word that really has the idea of begging, of pleading our God to our God. Specifically for some concrete need, for something that we are lacking and what is more, this, I, this word for prayer underscores the fervency, the, the earnestness of this prayer that is to be raised. And we're to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. We direct our petitions to Him. And we do so exactly because He is the Lord of the harvest. It's His harvest. It it, it belongs to Him. He's the one who manages it, who cares for it. But what is more, He is therefore the one who is the only one able to send men into the harvest. The specific petition that we're taught to pray is that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Literally, that He would throw out laborers out into the field And that's His work. Because He's the only one that can work in the heart of a man. That internal calling whereby a man feels convicted that he must pursue and take up this work. And our God is the one who gives that external call, that confirming call that comes from a church that says to a man, come over and help. It's God's work to send forth labors. And therefore, we pray to the Lord of the harvest. And we pray for laborers. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into the harvest. And that does include praying for your own laborer. Your own shepherd. One who's already working in the field. Pray that He be given the grace sufficient to toil in the work set before Him. Pray that He be renewed in the inner man day after day. Pray that He be kept from some lamentable fall that would disqualify Him from the ministry. Pray for current labors, but while that's included, the main thing here in view is pray for additional laborers. Pray that God would send even more workers out into the field for the ingathering of the harvest. Pray that God would call young men working in their hearts the conviction that the Apostle Paul expressed in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, Woe is me if I preach not the Gospel. Pray that He equip young men with the necessary gifts, not just intellectually, 
with the, the, the skills and abilities such as an aptitude to teach, but more importantly, with those spiritual qualifications of the heart. Pray that God sustain young men as they take up that work and pursue the Gospel ministry so that they persevere through the setbacks. So that they're willing to go through the arduous labors of studying in our seminary. And pray that God then send those men. That He gives them that external confirming call that comes from a church. So that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is not just my will. I have not entered the ministry in some illegitimate way, but this is Christ's own will. Pray, congregation. Pray fervently. Knowing the urgent need, pray regularly in your own personal private devotions. When you gather together as a family around the table, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Father, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Send, O Lord of the harvest, laborers into that harvest. Young men, do you hear that prayer? Do you see the urgent need? And have you considered whether it's God's will for you to be one to go out into the field and to labor as a minister of the Gospel? Young men of the congregation, I lay before you the urgent need that we have as a denomination. And I urge you to consider the call to ask God honestly, would you have me to become a minister of the Gospel? And then pray that if it is His will, He opens the doors that He works in you a clear sense of conviction. And I say this especially to the young men in our own Christian school. Whether you're in high school, or whether you're younger. But I say it really to all the young men, even those who are already in college or perhaps already have a career. Consider whether God would have you to serve in His kingdom as a laborer in the harvest. And congregation, be sure to encourage this. May it not be that in our congregation there is a negative attitude towards the ministry of the Gospel that discourages young men 
from considering this work. May it not be that as parents we think, so-and-so's son, he can be a minister, but not my own son. I don't want that for him. But may it be instead that as parents, as teachers, as a congregation, as a whole, we encourage this. That there's support for those who make known this intention that they intend to serve the Lord if it be His will as ministers of the Gospel. All the while praying to the Lord of the harvest and praying with confidence that God will hear and answer this prayer because there is a blessed answer. And that too comes out in the passage. Specifically in the context. Perhaps you wondered why we read into chapter 10. Why not just end at the chapter at the end of chapter 9? That's a nice clean cutoff. Well, the reason is because t- chapter 10 is the answer. Chapter 10 is Christ Himself providing men for the work. Because immediately after telling the people to pray for laborers to serve in the harvest, what do we read next? Chapter 10, And when He called unto Him His twelve disciples, He gave them power unto unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then it lists the names. And then verse 5, these twelve Jesus sent forth. He threw them out and commanded them. And told them, go preach, verse 7, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Christ Himself is providing labors for the harvest. And this is not the only time He does this. Because there's two passages in the New Testament that contain that basic charge that the laborers, the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that He send forth laborers. One's here, the other's in Luke. And likewise in Luke, we're given a similar answer. Because in Luke chapter 10, Verse 2, we read very familiar words. Therefore said He unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into His vineyard. But here, the context is not the sending of the twelve, but the sending of the seventy. Verse 1, after these things the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before His face into every city and every place whither He Himself would come. So that both times in the Gospel accounts, Jesus says, pray for labors for the harvest. He Himself answers that prayer immediately. First, He sends the twelve on His second Galilean tour. Then He sends the seventy on His third Galilean tour. There's an answer to the prayer. And note, this is indeed Christ's work. Christ is the one sending them in Matthew 10 and in Luke 10. 
And it's Christ who sends them still today. That's Ephesians 4, verse 11. Talking about the ascended, exalted Lord Jesus, Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, And He, Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. It's Christ as He sits there on His throne in heaven, ruling over all, ruling the church by His grace. He's the one who sends, who provides men for this work. And we can be absolutely confident that He will continue to provide. Because He loves His church. Go back to that glimpse into the heart and character of our Savior in Matthew 9, verse 36. But when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them. Do you really think that His compassion has changed? That it's diminished in any way now that He's ascended into heaven? He loves His church more than we do. He's more aware of the needs of the church than we are. And He will surely care for His church. And that gives us confidence. But what is more, we have confidence because He's promised to give us such men. That's the promise of Jeremiah 3, verse 15, for example. And I will give you pastors according to Mine heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. He's promised. And all of His promises are sure. He will give pastors in answer to our prayer. And has He not done that already? There certainly is an urgent need. Yet in various ways, He has heard and answered our prayer for laborers for the vineyard. He's answered your prayer, Hope Protestant Reformed Church. In sending you a minister roughly three and a half years ago, He's answered your prayer when you besought the Lord earnestly that your minister would stay laboring here in Redlands when he received calls to go elsewhere. He's heard your prayer. And what is more, has he not worked in the hearts of two men from this congregation to take the steps to enter into seminary and to pursue the gospel ministry so that the first year student in our seminary and the entering student who will begin seminary next fall are both from this congregation. That's in direct answer to prayer. And what is more, there was the notice that we received recently of the mission work in the Philippines coming to a conclusion. Hearing that news brings mixed emotions to be sure. There's reasons for sorrow. There's also reasons for joy. And surely, 
one of the reasons that we can read that news with a smile on our face is the encouragement that there's reinforcements on the way. Not men who are six years out who still have to finish college and go through seminary, but experienced men. Men who've served well, who've now served on the mission field, who can come back and bring all that knowledge, that experience, and use it in the service of a particular congregation. God is hearing. He is answering this prayer. Even as He promised to do so. And now the point in bringing this up is not to say, well, there's not a need anymore. No. This in no way detracts from the the urgent need that there is for ministers. The urgent need to pray as a congregation. The need for the young men to consider the ministry. But the point is that we can do all that with confidence. That this God hears and answers prayer. So let us pray. Trusting that our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let us pray with the assurance that because the harvest itself is sure, our God will surely provide the laborers for the ingathering of that harvest. And let us pray with a certainty that in answer to our prayer, Christ Himself will work in the hearts of young men to heed the call to the ministry. And in service to Jesus Christ, go out into the field as shepherds of the sheep. And when we see Him answering prayer, because He will, let us be sure to praise Him and to thank Him accordingly. To say to Him, thank You for providing labors for the harvest because the harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are few. Amen. Father in heaven, we come before thee tonight, having been encouraged to pray in light of the truth that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And certainly, Father, that is our own experience as churches, and thus. By faith we come to Thee asking that Thou will indeed provide men for this work. And if it be Thy will laid upon the hearts of some of the young men in this congregation, work in them a sense of conviction, that internal sense of a calling, and open doors for them. And thereby provide for our denomination faithful under-shepherds who will point our people 
again and again to our Savior Jesus Christ. And continue to grant Thy blessing upon Thy Word as it goes forth from this congregation and the ministry of the Gospel here. Forgive our many sins and hear us for Christ's sake. Amen.